Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. The fans have won already. What a spectacular week of competition we have seen. On this episode, it's Antron Brown and Erica Enders, a top fuel winner and a pro stock world champ. And there is not a happier human being on planet Earth than the woman in that pro stock car. We're going to talk championships, Las Vegas, and coming through in the clutch. Goodbye, Snake, and hello, Ace. This is the NHRA Insider. And the wildest day in the history of this category is finally complete. Hey everybody, Brian Loans here. This episode of the NHRA Insider, our first postseason episode of 2020, of which there will be many uh, because we have a long offseason coming up in front of us. And I wanted to kind of spread out uh, who we talked to, when we talked to. So rather than jam-pack this show full of everybody that won the race or won a championship, we're going to work through our champions and race winners over the next couple of weeks. Got a couple of great guests on this show, Antron Brown who won top fuel at the Dodge NHRA Finals presented by Pennzoil, and Erica Enders, who went on and won pro stock as well as uh, picking up her fourth world championship and her second in a row. So she's done it back-to-back twice, 14, 15, and then 19 and 20. I'm going to talk about uh, kind of how their years went, kind of Antron, I want to certainly get inside his head and talk a little bit about the uh, the struggle that that team has had and the fact that they have definitely put that behind him with a big win to close the season. I want to talk to you about how important it is for guys like him and Tony Schumacher to be competitive and uh, the kind of entire environment of top fuel drag racing these days. It's a really, really awesome class. It's been an awesome class for uh, years now in terms of its competitive nature, but it's really over the top now. And for Erica, we're going to talk about the trials and tribulations of a championship season that was shorter than normal in some ways, but I'm sure it felt longer than normal in other ways. When it comes to the race last weekend in Las Vegas, it was all of that and a little more in terms of great competition. Yes, had great competition. I had a strange feel to it. Absolutely had a strange feel to it because of the highly limited crowd. Was it fun? beyond fun we saw championships decided in the lucas oil drag racing series as well um it, it we went across the board and had a very memorable event which was viewed very well on television had a great uh, and growing rating on that one as we've had on basically every single one of our uh, sunday broadcasts this year and the the delivery i guess for the fans was the fact that we saw some upsets we saw christian quadra Uh, have a dramatic effect on deciding the 2020 Pro Stock World Championship. Not the guy we would have penned as someone who would have been maybe seen as influential in that respect, but when he went 002 on Jason, and Jason was a a tardy 82 in the starting line, uh, he ended Jason Line's career. That was the last run that Jason Line will make at a Pro Stock car as he is retiring to spend his time in the engine shop at KB Racing and not in the driver's seat. That kind of kicks off some of the silly season talk as well. Who do they put in that seat? Can they find somebody? Is there people out there that want to get in there? They're going to have to find some money, this, that, and the other thing. All conversations are going to be having in the offseason. We can also look at the other categories of competition. Pro Stock Motorcycle, again, delivered. It delivered us unexpected fun. It delivered us a surprise winner in Angie Smith. Not surprised that she's incapable of winning, but just not a bike that we had penned on our you know, ladder sheets in the morning to make the final round. Nor do we have Steve Johnson on that sheet either. And the Pro Stock Motorcycle category kind of snuck up on us a little bit, meaning the unexpected things didn't start happening right off the bat. It it actually, first round of Pro Stock Motorcycle pretty much went according to script in terms of where people were qualified, where they fell on a ladder, that type of thing. And then it was after that, slowly but surely, as over the course of the day, we started whittling down these motorcycles. And we, me and Tony Pedregon looking at each other going, wait a second, am I seeing this right? Am I seeing Angie Smith and Steve Johnson in a final? Both of them had not been in a final since 2014. Both of them won their finals in 2014 and uh, had not made it back since. So uh, Johnson, I should say, had. He was 0-4 in finals since 2014, where Angie made that one final in Epping, won the race against Matt, and that was um, that was the last time she was in a final until last weekend. And she took care of her business won the race, and remains perfect in final round appearances over the course of her career. Matt Smith is the Pro Stock Motorcycle World Champion, as we uh, expected he would be coming into the race. We were just wondering how it was going to shake out, and uh, it shook out with uh, the teamwork and and you know some exciting stuff along the way. But uh, Matt Smith, the Pro Stock Motorcycle World Champion, for the fourth time in his career, which puts him in some interesting company because there are several riders that have three world championships, he is going to be the only rider with four world championships. 
And then we look ahead and we see Andrew Hines and Dave Schultz that have six. So Matt is, um, you know, third greatest of all time in terms of championship count. Of course, he keeps racking up wins and shows no signs of letting down or giving up. So uh, Matt Smith plans to be around for years. And who knows, uh, the way he has been running and the way that he has his motorcycle tuned, the access he has to his own dyno now certainly has changed his program. He's reliant on no one other than himself, and that is a good thing in drag racing when you're able to be self-reliant, able to build your own horsepower, do your own tuning. Uh, you pretty much leave nothing to chance. Scotty Polachek had a career season as well, finished very high in the points. I believe he ended up number two. And for Scotty, uh, winning the U.S. Nationals, getting his first career victory, Scotty will be a guy that we're going to have conversation with here in the offseason as well. And he's a guy that performed admirably in Las Vegas, but just didn't quite have enough horse underneath him to be a total factor in deciding the race. We look at the Nitro Funny Car category. Of course, it was the, the Battle Royale we had talked about. Ron Caps, the, the far outside shot, was eliminated via uh, the points totals during qualifying. So he was out. So it really was Tommy Johnson Jr., Matt Hagen, and Jack Beckman. And then, you know, Jack Beckman um, losing early, going out, ending his day. It was a shock. Uh, he lost to Paulie in the first round. Then we look at Tommy Johnson Jr. and Matt Hagen, and they each won a couple of rounds, and ultimately Tommy Johnson Jr. lost. And ultimately you have Matt Hagen and Ron Caps in the final round, and Hagen wins the race, locks a championship up, and we're going to talk, of course, to Antron Brown about the day and the season in Top Fuel. Before we get to our guests, I think it's another kind of fun thing to look back on and this year that was just so crazy, and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about different things in the offseason here, but you know the amount of uh, bizarre... Uh, conjecture that was thrown out there that I uh, sometimes rant against on this particular show. Um, none of it came true. Uh, there was a lot of stuff that was said. The season's going to end at Indy. Um, we're going to run those couple of races. Season's over at that point. And then we went on, of course, and raced basically clear, clear across the country uh, from Florida to Texas multiple times to St. Louis, Missouri, and ultimately in Nevada and Las Vegas. So that, that was a big uh, fake out. And then also... The fact of the matter is uh, the the gloom and doom propositions about car counts and everything else didn't come to fruition. We had great car counts at every race, and that's a testament to the racers. That's not uh, a testament to anybody but them and their dedication to the sport. And, you know, things were done, decisions were made in the best interest of preservation of the sport, in the best interest of a forward-looking uh, mentality of the sport, and those decisions certainly did not impact anybody positively in a financial way. And the fact that the racers were able to battle through it, be there, committed to the series, um, was amazing, and it was awesome. And it's something that when we look back at this on this time, 10, 20 years from now, we're going to keep coming back to one simple fact, and that's that without the racers, none of this would have worked. And the fact that they came out, ran as hard as they did, put on incredible shows like they did, um, just speaks volumes to them, and it speaks volumes to their leadership and certainly the folks that are uh, operating those teams. So uh, that was a thing I was and will continue to be eternally thankful for. I know as we go forward here over the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking about Camping World. We'll be talking about the breadth and depth of the 2021 sponsorship package. And, you know, that's the important thing to remember is the Camping World sponsorship actually begins in 2021. The reason you saw Camping World on the racetrack and on television and everywhere else at the end of 2020 was it was decided pretty quickly that, you know what, if we're going to rebrand this series and we want to get it right, why not kind of do these last three races in a Camping World mode so we can make changes, we can place things where we want them, we can put logos where they need to be, we can get the look right. And so when we get off the ground in 2021, we are not figuring out what that's supposed to look like at the first race. We already know. So that's why you saw Camping World uh, all over the place the last three races. And the deal officially begins in 21, and I'm sure there'll be more details and stuff coming out uh, regarding that once we get into the time where the deal is actually engaged. So there you have it. There's a little background, a little insight, a little something-something for you as we get our show ready to kick off. Our first guest is going to be the top fuel winner at the Dodge NHRA Finals presented by Pennzoil. His name is Antron Brown. How you doing, Antron? I'm doing good, Brian, man. Doing good, man. It uh, was a really cool thing to see last Sunday with you guys uh, hoisting the Wally at the end of the day. I know it's been a long time coming. And I guess my first question to you is, at what point during the day did you finally let yourself believe that this was a possibility? <laughs> 
Well, man, you, the thing about it is, is once you get into that final round, you know what I mean? Because in, in drag racing, we all know that each round's not guaranteed because anything can happen. And uh, we felt vulnerable in uh, in E3, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? In the semifinals, we dropped the hole, like, coming out the jiggle. Like, the car, the timing went out of it, and it, it dropped the hole for, like, no reason. Don't know why it dropped the hole, you know what I mean? Just like Billy's car did at the Septa Throttle yeah. against us at the same time. So, so. Once we made it to the final, we knew that our, we had a car that could compete and could run with anybody. Like we ran low ET of, of E2. Yes. And then uh, in E1, we went out there with a 72, and we thought that was a good run. We know like a 70 flat or 69 was out there, but we just wanted to run something that we knew that we could be uh, that we can be like competitive and not throw it away by smoking the tires. So, yeah. so that's when our Achilles heels is pressing too hard at the wrong times. Yeah, and it's. I think one of the neat things is about this particular victory is we look at the the four cars he had to go through, and they include obviously Tony Schumacher that won a week ago or two weeks ago, whatever it was, and you had to go through Billy and Steve. So it's like you had to exercise the demons out of that thing, and you did by by basically going through the three hardest cars we have on the tour right now. And I think that's kind of a symbolic thing of you guys finally kind of battling your way through this through this the stretch you've been on. Well, the thing about it is, is that uh, it, it, it's kind of our fault at the end of the day, because I don't know what it is. If you ever look at all of our round matchups, no matter when we have raced for the last several years, we always race the cars that are like the best of the best, or they run their best ET and cut their best career yes. light against us <laughs> right. every round. <laughs> you know, but that's the only way you would want it, and uh, it's kind of our fault from all the years of of what we've dished out through all the years because we're always competing at a high level. The car always usually runs – our car always usually runs well, and, and then I always try to work my hardest to leave on time. So when you when you have the full gambit, everybody knows what you have to put out and throw at you and to get through you. So, But now everybody's running good like that. So it's just, it's just hard out there, man. I mean, the top fuel class, and we were even missing some of the front role players this whole year, yeah. like yep. Brittany Force and – and Austin Proc and but you know I mean like Clay Milliken's team is there stepped up I mean their team's running exceptionally well and uh, Justin Ashley's team not just him leaving on time right but they can drop low ET on anybody at any any given moment and and with him leaving his leaving capabilities I mean shoot man that's a championship car in the making right there also and then Tony coming back with Mike Green you you said it Brian I mean they dropped the bomb on on the Capco boys back there in Houston, man, yeah. it, it was, it was, uh, wow. You know what I mean? So yeah, that was, uh, that was one of the best, if not the single best top fuel final I think I've ever watched. I mean, it was just, you know, the coolest part of it to me was you have these two cars that, you know, both of them clearly can run. And especially on Tony's side of it, his team comes in knowing what they're going to have to do. Like Steve's car had not run out of the three sixties that entire weekend. And those guys not only were able to step up, they're actually able to run quicker. And to me, those are the moments that are really kind of electrifying about about what we do. Oh, absolutely, and and uh, us being teammates there with Tony, and uh, and saw what Mike Green was doing, and and you see what his car was capable of. Like when he went to sixty eight E one, we saw how much more was left in the tank, and then he was just trying to get it down track, and they were like. They were having issues when they were running like the 72, 71, or 70 flat. They weren't showing their whole hand, and Mike just gave him enough rounds, and he made it to that final where he was able to piece it all together and show them what they were really capable of. And uh, that was a heck of a race. I was a fan. I was up there watching on the start line. I was like, it dropped everybody's draw because, you know, Tony, he's hungry. He wants it. Yeah. Steve wants it. And they both had incredible laps. It could have went either way. And when you talk about you want to race by a little, like by two thousandths of a second, yeah. it was anybody's race. I think it's important um, for us as the NHRA as a sport. I really feel it's important that guys like you and Tony are winning. Um, I think that's an important part of our story. I think you know high level cars, high level competition, which we've talked about. But I, I do, and I'm not just saying this because I got you on the phone. I said it to 100 people. And this is not a knock on Steve Torrance or the Capco team, but when when Tony Schumacher is able to hold a Wally, when you're able to hold one to end a season, it makes people pay a lot of attention. I think that's important. Oh well, for sure. But at the end of the day, you have to be deserving of it, which 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 yes. our teams are. Yes. 
You know what I mean? And the thing about it is, for me, I knew what I went through. We went through we went through a whole bunch of different stuff. Like, you know, when we lost Bryant several years ago, and he, went to, he wanted to go race funny cars. And our team, we started off, we, we were all right. Like, everything was going good. But we just had so many different things and obstacles that hit us along the way of cylinder heads that were messed up. And then then we got that fixed out right. And then we switched our whole combination around when we, we should have stayed the same. You get what I mean? So yeah. there's a lot of underlying things that people never see from the outside. Sure. And I knew it was a matter of time. And then when we've got Bryant back, and what Bryant is, he is a leader at the end of the day. And what happens is he stays his own route no matter what other people do where he won't change 50,000 things. You get what I mean? To try to figure out a situation. He is going to work it out and and Mark Oswald is that is that strong engineering mind, and Brad Mason is the glue that keeps all the guys together, that keeps all the stuff together on the team. And when we started out this year, we switched some parts and pieces because we thought we you know we went to some better parts and stuff like that. But it, I knew it was going to at least take us half of a season to get the engine combination right where yeah. it wasn't hurt itself and if you notice in the beginning of the year we were hurting stuff and we're dropping holes and we're doing stuff and we're getting it close and it's not all there yet but we're about 80 percent there and once you get there and then you're able to make the car leave on time like by I mean in 60 foot wise we're starting to have a car that can leave in 60 foot we're at the top of the page and once you get there then the rest of it is just picking like making little small changes and stuff like that and and now we're, we're getting that team that unity that synergy back and you can see it like we're starting to qualify better at the last four yes. or five races yep. the top five then we're making the quickest runs of different rounds and once you start getting that going and then the team starts getting confidence and i think that win at the last race of the year is really showed them and, uh, and, and motivated all of our guys for this offseason where we can go back and pick at it. And then we can actually make our weaknesses, our strengths next year, where we can come out there and we can compete for the full season and uh, and and get those Capco and the Coletto cars and the rest of them some trouble. And that's, and that's what we're used to being is being able to be there, you know? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the questions I had for you, and, and I'll ask it right now, how, how important – is it for you that this win came with your core has always remained the same? Yes, Brian left, Brian's come back. But the fact that through the through the lean times, let's call them, through the lean times, nobody went and blew this team up. Nobody went and pulled it apart. Everybody stuck together, kept their head down, and kept working. So how important is it to get this victory with that group of people you got it with? It is very important, man, and uh, and you have to stay the course. Because trust me, there were talks, there was other people in the, in the underlying that, one to switch things up and mix things up. That's what, you know, upper management wants to do. You know what I mean? But for me, I, I believe you make a dynasty and you make a team stronger by when you stick together and you go through the hard times together. You learn what each other's made of. You get what I mean? Sure. And uh, and when we get through these times, it's like we had great years. You know what I mean? Oh, you go absolutely. From 2009, yeah. 2009 to 2000. And 17, we were like, we were winning races like it was nothing. You Correct. get what I mean? Like, oh, absolutely. Like we, couldn't, we couldn't do no wrong from 09 to 2017. And we literally went through a two-year struggle. You get what I mean? Yeah. And and uh, and we won a race here. And we went to some finals, but we weren't the deal. Like, we were all over the place where the car didn't want to do the same thing. We had to figure out what the culprits was, why it didn't want to do that. And and by sticking together, we learn so much in these trying times, which is only going to make us even stronger. And this year wasn't even a full year. 2020, right. 2020 is, is a trash can. You get what I mean? It was a trash can half full, I want to call it. <laughs> you, 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 know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because uh, we only got to do 11 races. And you're, if you count two qualifying rounds at all the races that we went to, we literally only really raced amount of like eight full normal races yeah you get what i mean if this was a normal year this would be a third of the season where we would have been on point right now where we could have stayed in the top 10 maybe like you know got up into the top four 
by the time the countdown to the championship came, and we could contend for a championship. Yeah, you get what I mean. Yeah, I mean, and and that was the game plan. Like everything, like all this craziness with the COVID stuff, really threw us for a loophole. But it made us learn that much quicker and that much faster too. Yeah, and and I think the other element is too. You know, like there is no such thing as testing during a year like this. There is, uh, as you mentioned, just the two qualifying passes. So even if you wanted to experiment with something in qualifying, you really it doesn't do you any good to even try that at that point. So um, it's it is kind of strange, and and I think we saw different teams maybe attack it in a slightly different manner i think you know i think i watched the way guys were qualifying when we first came back to race in indy then you watch how people are qualifying by the time we get to the end and it's an interesting thing in drag racing to see people incrementally over time adjust their program adjust their tune-up to the circumstances that we're in and i guess my question to you on this would be what do you think the biggest gains your team made from when we came back in July to the end were? Where was it was it a mentality change? Was it an evolution of that mentality in qualifying? But for you, what was different about October than July? Uh, the, the biggest difference, honestly, to be honest with you, is in July we were still trying to find our way. We were we were still trying to locate why this was happening, why that was happening. I mean. Our engine stagger was off, and what I mean stagger is is like we we switched from one manifold to another manufacturer's manifold. You know what I mean? We switched from a force manifold to an AJ manifold for like you know for one because they're more ready available and we can get them. And yeah. and at the end of the day, uh, like the guys on the team, you know what I mean? Like when we like if we backfired or supercharger the way the AJ manifold was built, we figured that like you know the guys were saying that they'll hold up better. Okay. You get what I mean? So, so we just switched to a part that some more people in our shop was running. And when we did it, we always knew like, all right, well, you have to change this, change that, and change your jetting, your nozzling for your fuel because every manifold on the inside is different. It just used to air. And yeah, how it moves to, the air. Absolutely. Silver, sure. Right. But the thing about it is, is that we think, oh, man, we could get that in like, we can get that in about eight or 10 runs. We should be able to move this around, move that around. Let me tell you something, Brian. When you go to different, when you go to different atmospheric <laughs> conditions, like different areas, it changes, and you gotta know how to make that change with it. And we had all that knowledge with the old manifold that we ran before. You get what I mean? And so it's, like, a, it's a double moving target, basically, at that point. Oh, yeah. God, man, and and you go out there, and you're going, well, we should be able to run this much fuel. And this is the trick. This is the trick. The reason why the cars drop holes, and a lot of people don't know, is that. The more fuel you can give a nitro engine and it burns it, the more power you make, right? Sure. So you never want to lean it off because you lean it off, you know you're going to make less power. And when you do lean it, you can hurt parts also. So what we do is we always give it as much fuel as it can handle. And we were and we were like used to run a certain amount of fuel and we had to change our fuel curve and everything around to make it work. You get what I mean? So that takes runs to get where you get into a, a good happy window where you can make moves inside that window to make it run. You get what I mean? So so July, we were still trying to find that way. And the more runs we make, the better we got. You get what I mean? And yeah. it was just a matter of runs. And you have a lot of pressure because you want to win for your for your partners and your sponsors. And and it wasn't happening. And then Bryant, you know, I, I, I hated to be in his shoes because he came in and everybody put the pressure on him like he was the fix-all. Right, And he's exactly. not the fix-all. Is, is all the guys on the team, we had to come together and he riled them all together. And we don't point fingers. We're like, guys, I don't care what it is, but we got to figure out what it is and we got to make it better. We got to look at under each stone, every part and piece of this car to figure out, okay, one, why is it hurting itself? Why are we breaking a rod or yeah. why we're doing this? Why is it dropping a hole? Why is it this? And you have to go through all that, and, and that takes runs. It's, there's no magical part change. There's no personnel change. It takes runs. You get what I mean? Yeah. And then when COVID hit, what did it do? It took you, all yeah. that away. You ain't making it any took runs. took all those runs yeah. away. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you got four qualifiers. You could use two of them for throwaway runs. You get what I mean? Where yeah. you can – and not necessarily throwing away. You're going to make a, a logical, better move and say, "Well, you know, we're going to try this." But then you can make two safety runs to get in. Well, now you don't have two throwaway runs. You got two safety runs, and you got to make them count. 
<laughs> yeah, man. It's, and then it kind of compounds the problem, right? So I totally, yeah, that's, yes. that's pretty wild. That's a definitely a high pressure, uh, definitely a high pressure situation. What uh, what kind of leader would you say Brian Karate is in terms of his style? You know, I, I know him as a fairly uh, reserved guy. I know he's not always reserved to behind closed doors, but when we talked to him on the starting line and stuff, you know, he has this kind of air about him, kind of a quiet confidence. What kind of leader is he? What kind of coach is he uh, behind the doors with the team? I believe what Brian Karate does is, and what he does well, is that when he's around people, he gets the most out of people and is not a threatening. Because gotcha. you get a lot of crew chiefs, trust me, you get a lot of crew chiefs out there. Some of them are team builders, but some of them are, are like, you know, they are actually are like, uh, I see them in action where some, some people, like they talk down to people or they talk to people like they're dumb or they're stupid or they treat or they'll treat their, uh, their crew members as just do your job. Yeah. Don't worry about what I'm doing up here where Brian he is a good communicator, and then what happens is when he messes up, he is really quick on the cuff to say, hey, man, that was me. That was on me, yeah. You, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and, what he, and what he does is he enables the guys and give them and give them a comfort to say, all right, if you messed up, just fess up to it. Ain't no big deal. We'll fix it, and we move on. You know what I mean? He's not one of those crews that go to team owner and goes, hey – such and such did this. That's why the car messed up. Yeah, when you eliminate the as a leader, right? If you eliminate the fear that your your employees have of being able to tell you, "Hey, listen, uh, I made a mistake." If you eliminate that fear, you you end up eliminating guys trying to cover up mistakes or cover up problems or that whole thing. So yeah, that's a very healthy environment. That's cool. Oh, absolutely. And and the thing about it is now Brian, I can tell you, is a very emotional guy. Like you said, very emotional. Like he, like you know. It comes right out. Yeah. And when he's frustrated, like nobody wants to win as much as Brian Karate wants to win. <laughs> All of us are on, you get what I mean? Yeah. I mean very, very competitive person and he always wants to squeak every drop out of the lemon if you're making lemonade. Like he's gonna even he's even gonna find a way to use the peel. <laughs> <laughs> you get what I mean? And uh and and that's why the thing about this, everybody knows me as being like, you know, I'm always a nice guy. I'm always smiling and everything else. You know what I mean? But people don't realize how super, super competitive I am. Yeah. I am probably one of the most competitive people. I'm, I'm the hardest on my own self. I push myself each and every time. And, uh, and Brian, I got to tell you something. Tony goes, this guy's got four, 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 five speed. When I was in high school, brother, I ran a four two eight in the oh, forty. Dang, <laughs> not four four. I ran a four four when I was thirty five years old. When I did a deal for uh, North Carolina for Charlotte online, like with Kenantron Brown. That's insane. Doing, like doing uh, doing four seconds, and I was thirty five years old, and I ran a four four two. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so so. Uh, so, uh, like, with Tony said, I said, Tony, man, I said, I ran that when I was over my 30s, brother. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, that's awesome. But, but when you get somebody that is that competitive, and every guy on our team is that competitive, and you don't have to push them to be better. They already want to be better. They're already looking and servicing and doing everything to the best of their ability. But the thing about it is we even go a step beyond that. You get what I mean? Yeah. And uh, when you got somebody that's fighting to make everything that much better, same thing with Mark Oswald on every part and piece of our car, the way our engine come back, the way the engine looks, he is that competitive. He's won championships, and he always was a nice guy with a smile, but they called him Iceman because we got on the starting line. Forget about it. He was cold as ice. Yeah. He, 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 yeah. he wanted to slay his competition, and that's the way I am. That's the way each and every person on our team is. So that's what I think is the dividend where, you know, when we see the Capco boys doing what they do, they've been through their bumps and bruises and they raise that stage. Yes. You know what I mean? So one yeah. last question, one last question before I let you go. If, um, if there's one, if there's one thing that you can take away in the window between your victories, if there's one thing that when you were flying home or whatever and, and thinking about the weekend, is there anything that changed inside of you in terms of, 
your perspective on things or what it, what it, you know, the kind of end result on Sunday when you look back on it, is it the same guy that won in 2018 that won in 2020? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm not the same. The thing about it is, is that I have, I, I think in these last two years I have grown. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where, where I've really like, you know, you could you can always talk about it, but until you go through it, yeah. Until you go through it, it it is really defined to my own personal being because I was like, man, all those years of winning are like you know, am I ever like you know, you question yourself, are you ever going to get back there? How are we going to get back there? And the thing about it is, is that it made me dig deep to look inside to keep the faith and just to keep. And it's to keep stepping and to keep moving forward and to learn from each and every moment that we're going through and to stay steady and, uh, and, and never do any, like what I've learned is like, I can't do it by myself. And each crew member I told him, I said, we cannot do this on our own. We've got to do this together. And what it, what it's taught me is to really, really band together and pull together. And some of the guys got bad attitudes we were like, oh, we got to test again, or we got to do this again. I go, do you want to win again? Right. That, that's the question. Yeah. What are you willing to sacrifice, and what are you willing to do to win again? And I know I'm not done. Right. And the thing about I told my guys, I said, if you're looking at this as a job because you got comfortable and you've done this for so long, maybe it's time for you to do something different. Yeah. I said, because at the end of the day, it's not about, oh, God, we got to do this or what we're going to learn. Is it really going to help? Well, what helps is every lap down the racetrack. What helps is every time you service this race car. What helps is all the information that we get. Even though it might be the wrong information, it tells us what direction not to go. That's what helps to where we've got it to go to that winner circle and we're going like, look. And are we comfortable? We're not comfortable by a long shot. We still got a lot more to learn and grow, and we're only going to get better. Like on that last lap, we we went slower than Steve Torrance, but we dropped a hole yes. at half track. <clears throat> yes, you did. Yep. That's why we went 315 mile an hour. We were actually were out running him all the way up to 330, and it dropped the hole right before half track where we were even with him at the 330 in ET. Our car was on point to run another high I want to say like a, a high like a high seventy two or a low seventy three. Gotcha. So so that's where we're at. So we still got work ahead of us to do and to make it better. And in those conditions, honestly, I know Steve O, they weren't trying to run a seventy four flat. I no. mean, we all should have been running seventy flats or sixty nines. But it's Vegas, you know, the elevation and the temperature takes away from us, you know. And probably before I go, I gotta leave you with this one thing. Absolutely. And this this puts perspective on so many things. One of our crew guys, which he's a newer crew guy, he wasn't with us when we when we were uh, ripping up the racetrack. And he looked over and he talked to my wife and my daughter. He goes, can you believe that? Can you believe that? He goes, we beat the Torrances, right? <laughs> and you know what my daughter did? My daughter looked over at him like, what's wrong with him? Right. You know what I mean? Right. And, and, my, and my wife looked at him, and my daughter is so funny because she's 19 because she lived my whole career with us. Yep. She goes, she goes, you know, my dad used to beat the Capco boys on a routine basis, and like they were outside happy when they finally beat us. <laughs> so, so like, like, like it turns full circle, and that tells you how far the Capco guys have come. They've won three world championships in a row, and they're a dominant force. And the thing about it is, we just got to get back there to give them that competition to do that, to 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 waver that balance and to bring it back. So uh, it, it was it was pretty cool. That, yeah, that's like, great. You know, I saw my daughter's face. I didn't even have to answer it or even <laughs> respond to him. I didn't say nothing to him. But you have to have that confidence that you can win and you can compete with anybody out there. And I think that he'll have that from now on. 
Well, it's great, man. It was great to see. And again, uh, you know, Tony, the week before you getting the getting the last one of the year, and and uh, you know, through the course of this conversation, understanding what went into earning that victory. So, congratulations. Uh, I'm sure at some point over the off season we'll be catching up again. But uh, enjoy the time with your family, and uh, enjoy the time getting ready for uh, 2021. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I appreciate it, Brian. Appreciate it very much, my man. Thanks, Antron. Thank you. Antron Brown wasn't the only one that had an awesome weekend in Las Vegas. Erica Enders had one as well, not only winning the race in Pro Stock, but locking up her fourth career Pro Stock World Championship. So that's why she's our second guest in this episode of the NHRA Insider. Erica Enders, how you doing? Hey, Brian. I'm good. How are you? Doing pretty good. Pretty good. It was... um it was crazy. This whole year has been crazy, but it wrapped up in a pretty crazy fashion on Sunday. I don't even think you saw that coming. <laughs> I did not, especially after our performance on Saturday and knowing that we were going into Sunday in the number 12 hole. Um, you know, the, the thoughts and the feelings Saturday night were not uh, exactly gravy. So, <laughs> You know, one of the things I want to ask you uh, kind of right off the bat, we'll get into some of the other aspects of this, but... Um, we were all stunned when we, we saw Christian lead the starting line with a double O two. We saw Jason was, was hopelessly behind him. And then he wins on this whole shot. And I guess it, it came over you like a tidal wave down there. I mean, obviously a, a ton of emotions at once, but if you can describe what was the, was it relief? I mean, what, what kind of washed over you? Because it was a very emotional moment for you. So there's a, a lot of things that play into that, that feeling that was caught on camera. Um, it's been a challenging year for everybody, I think, with the with the pandemic and what's going on with our country. But on a more personal level, I've just not had the most trick year ever. Um, yes, we've won four races and whatever, but it's it's been a true challenge. And it's just one of those deals that whenever we rolled up there for first round, Jed Coughlin, my teammate, who is retiring, was first out. And to see my other teammate in Stanfield beat him on a whole shot, I just like my jaw hit the floor yeah. and my sister was in the door of my car and she's like, oh my gosh, like this is going to happen right now. And I was like, there's no freaking way. There's no way <laughs> that the stars are going to line up because all of the championships that we've had and with exception to 15, where we locked it up early in Las Vegas because we had such a dominating year, um, you know, 14 came down to the final round at the final race of the year. And then 19 was, you know, we had Greg Anderson who purposely hooked us first round. So there's just a lot of drama there and a lot of pressure. So to have it end and be locked up after the first round on Sunday was not something I anticipated at all. So being up there long, long winded answer to your question and, and watching that. And when I always, I don't ever watch like the cars or anything. I just watch the tree drop and you can see such a difference. in when, quadra left and when jason left and i that's when i put my hands on my head like oh my god yeah and then <laughs> when when the kb horsepower wasn't able to pull around him the 800s advantage that he had on the starting line it just like it just was crazy because right then everything was done and the rest yeah. of the day at that point didn't matter of course you want to execute perfectly and finish the season on with a win like we were able to do but the way of the world was was gone at that moment it was unbelievable yeah it was stunning I mean it was uh, of all the ways you know we've seen things happen over the years it really was incredible and you know I, I, I've Jason's a great guy and I respect him and, and love the guy the same as well and it's like you know it, there's no easy way to go out like I didn't you know how do you go out you don't want to see, you go out like Jag which he also went out on a whole shot and that, that's a tough thing to I guess it's a tough thing for that to be the last pass, but like Jason said in his interview, he said, you know, I went out better than I came in, mentioning the <laughs> fact that he had that very very early in his career crash at um, at Columbus. And, uh, I, you know, we had his in-car camera on, you approached his car, and, and he was cordial to you and everything. And, you know, respectful guy, and obviously he was kind of having a emotional moment of himself there, however emotional he gets, which certainly isn't to the level that most of us get, but you know how it goes. Yeah, he's definitely very closed off and very dry, but uh, such a tough competitor and just a really good guy to his core. So uh, what I said to him when I went over there, like I grabbed his hand and I was just like, I'm I'm sorry because I, that's not how any of us thought it would end. Yeah. And it's certainly not how he wanted it to end or Jake Hoffman either. But those two moments of first round for them, by no means define anything. Oh, sure. <laughs> for those that's two a fact. Guys, that's you know? a fact. We're losing three really tremendous people and amazing competitors in one year. So pro stock, the landscape of pro stock is going to be 
totally different next year. It is. And, you know, I think we're, we're starting to see some of the, the faces emerge. Kyle Koretsky obviously drove himself a great race, and he's been getting more comfortable all year long. Uh, Aaron Stanfield has had a tremendous year, obviously, with the factory stock showdown. And then when he got into the uh, the Rick Jones uh, pro stock car, has just been a, a killer out there, and uh, specifically against Jake Coughlin, apparently, for the last two races. But, you know, that landscape you mentioned, yes, we're losing these three giant like Mount Rushmore size guys and and we're seeing these younger kids kind of float in and um, I'm hearing you know maybe one or two of those seats that are opening will be filled with uh, some young faces as well so um, I guess they're coming for you now they're no longer coming for Jason and Jake they're coming for you I know I'm like the old person <laughs> in the class now when I was always the young gun so I was listening to Alan or Alan Reinhardt on the loudspeaker as I was in my car a couple races I think it was at the U.S. Nationals and I had to race Mason McGaha and Alan's up there like she is literally double his age oh my and I'm God. like shut up what is happening I don't <laughs> even understand this but it's true I mean he's a yeah. he's a kid they're all kids but it's I think it's really neat to see what a family-oriented sport we have and and just the second generation the that's coming exactly you know? yeah. greg greg stanfield now his son aaron stanfield kenny kretzky now his son kyle uh chris mcgaha his son mason like i mean you just go down the list nephew, nephew of jig like, yeah. nephew yeah. like i mean they're obviously they eat sleep and breathe drag racing and they're all just naturals and amazing at it so it's uh it'll it'll be stacked for sure there will be no shortage of uh competitiveness no that's a fact and so let's let's pick it up now for for the rest of the day because obviously you go on to win the race uh at las vegas and i've always wondered this because you know i was thinking about um doug gordon who won the alcohol funny car championship um at houston and then kind of came in and and raced Uh, from your perspective you're still a professional like you said you still want to win do everything perfectly but I mean, is it easier or more difficult to like roll the car in knowing I already got this thing in the bag, like it's over with? I mean, what's the what's the mentality to finish the race day off and and do it in the, at the level you did? So I feel like that kind of comes with seat time too, because in 2015, um, you know, I had trouble getting up for it after we had locked up the championship, and you kind of just have to mess with your own mind a little bit and convince yourself that it's not over and this does matter. And, um, you know, I said it in my top end interview, like you never know when it's your last chance or your last winter circle. So you just got to execute and do the best that you can with every opportunity you have. So, um, I just kind of went back to the trailer and after first round, um, you know, in the championship speech and driving back in the truck with the trophy and all the fans. I mean, it's so cool, right? And I literally hop out of the bed of the truck and Richard's like, we're swinging engines. So I like hop out of the bed of the truck and we go to work <laughs> on on ripping the motor out of my car and putting another one in. So it was like thrash time at that point. And I kind of, I'm actually thankful for that because then you don't have time yeah. to think because you're just working. And you know, I'm very hands-on with the with the guys and with my car, so I was really, really busy, and we go up second round to have my teammate, uh, Troy Coughlin Jr., who the first three times I raced him, he whooped my butt, yes. so yeah. I was, like, trying to, uh, wanting to redeem myself a little bit there, and he's such a, he's such a great kid, and he's gonna, he is a, a good driver already, he's gonna be great, and, um, yeah, I mean, we, we knew we had our work cut out for us, and we had obviously been behind the eight ball all weekend with our runs, qualifying 12, being 500s behind Greg Anderson. Yeah, I mean, that that's was a huge margin. Yeah, he ran so. that 60, and it was like, why does anybody, nobody else neither needs to come up here anymore? It's over. But obviously, that how, that's not how it worked out on race day. No, it's not. And that's what Richard's dad, we call him grandpa. He, he has zero filter and he's also a Freeman. So it's like extra zero filter. <laughs> and he, go, he comes to breakfast on Sunday morning. He's like, y'all don't even need to unload this stuff. You're just going to load it right back up. I mean, we suck. I'm like, Hey man, championship Sunday, way to have a positive attitude. But, and it was, it was actually cool that everything fell the way that it did because you, you, you don't race on paper. You don't have to have the fastest car. You got to put your left foot to work. Your crew chiefs have to dig deep to find more power or, you know, to, to utilize the power that you have better. Um, so we just, we had a, a much better race day than we did qualifying, but we were still not the fastest car. After we beat TJ on a whole shot second round, um, going up there to race Greg, that's the 500 spread that he had lane choice over us by 500s. And 
So we came back after beating TJ, and Richard's like, I don't care what you got to do. I don't care if you jump the guard wall and end up in the grandstands. Make this car run faster. And <laughs> then he looks at me, and he's like, and cut a damn light, you know? And I'm like, okay, I'm on it. <laughs> so that was that was obviously the round of the day for sure. If we got if we got by Greg, um, I knew that anything was possible at that point. So that was, uh, that was a huge win for us. Outside of uh, Sunday at Las Vegas, what would you say was your kind of favorite on-track moment from the season outside of ch- clinching the championship? Oh, gosh, on-track moment. I don't know. I, I'm pretty proud of being able to win the U.S. Nationals this yeah. year after yeah. what happened the year before in the final round. With my teammate Alex, it was just a really tough race to swallow, probably top three of my career as far as, as losses go that were uh, so important, and that one was definitely one of them. So to be able to come back, and I by no means drove the way <laughs> I used to drive. I mean, in my opinion, shifting is probably the easiest part, especially when everything goes right, but it's just like um, my reaction times were not uh, what they normally are. <laughs> But they were good enough to win. You know what I mean? That's the other thing, too, where it's like, to me, it's like in sports, it's not whether it's drag racing or anything else, like the, the people who are actual, like, real champions, the people who are perennial contenders and are multiple-time champions like you are, are the ones that on their days that they are not there as good as they can be, they still find ways to win. And that's exactly what you guys did. Like you're saying, it was not – there was no, like – single race day that was just you crushing everybody and being virtually perfect four rounds in a row but it was you being in the car present enough to get the thing out of there on time and to do your job as well so I feel like uh, it's an honest thing for you to say but also it's a mark of a champion when you can succeed without needing to be dead on perfect every time well thank you for saying that and I you know obviously really pride myself on my driving and I want to be the best period ever but every day that's not <laughs> that's yeah. not exactly an achievable goal but um, you know that's something that I that I also mentioned this weekend but in high pressure situations we are great together my guys rise to the occasion I tend to rise to the occasion and and that's something that's also acquired with 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 years of experience also because you can't let any of the outside distractions any of the starting line games any of the things people say any of the uh you know your car not starting or it's shutting off in in the middle or the starter running out after you've already pre-staged in houston and shutting you off like yeah. all of those mental distractions you have to be able to overcome and that's something that comes with time too so it's uh it's definitely a, a huge team effort and my guys they did it they performed flawlessly uh, put yourself back in the place where Kyle Koretsky was next to you, uh, your first final round. Who did you race? My first final round, I raced Jason Line, and we were in Chicago. It was back when Chicago had two events per yep. year. So we heard a motor uh, in the semifinals. So we came back and we, we switched, and we went to fire, and we had a crank trigger issue. So we had a crank trigger sensor issue. So we changed that. We were able to get the car to fire, but we were rushing because of weather coming in. And I literally had to get buckled up in the pit, and they towed me to the lanes. And NHRA was telling Jason to run because of the weather and TV and whatnot. And Jason said, no, I'm not going to awesome. let her miss her first final round. So that's kind of one of my first big memories of Jason Lyon. He's just a stand-up guy and just a really good heart. But um, So he waited for us, and we go up there. And I was obviously a nervous wreck, and I was we were rushed, and um, – high pressure situation that I failed at and I went up there and I was red in the final round but he was uh he was awesome to wait for us and I remember at the end of the track and this is why I mess with him so much now but I gave him a hug and he afterwards he's like look I don't I don't like hugs okay <laughs> so now every time I see him I like I'm like hey you want a hug and he's like no <laughs> so my sister and I'll tag team him and it's a big joke with him and his wife and and us and so it's we, we had fun with it, but that was my first final round, two thousand five. Yeah, that's a really cool story in it, and you know it's one of these things that we're going to have months on end to look at stuff in, in history. And I, I want to go back and see how many first time pro stock finalists red light because I have a feeling it's a very high percentage. You know, I think uh, I think just as like you're saying, it's one thing, it's one thing to make it to that moment, and then when you have that little minute to think about it, that's that's when I think it can get to your head a little bit. Not saying that's what happened to, to Koretsky, but obviously he was red against you because he was feeling uh, 
he was feeling like he had to be on time, which is what your you know what your reputation brings with you to the team. Um, one other question before I let you go is uh, I'm asking everybody this kind of what are you looking like for 2021? Uh, we looking like going to be back in the same car? What's what's going on? Um, yeah, I think that's the plan. Uh, <laughs> you never know; things are always up in the air. Yeah. But as far as I know, uh, Mark Melling and his family are back on board with us. I think Gallagher and People Lease are as well. I just got off a call with NGK, um, so we're you know we're still proceeding like everything cool. is happening. Um, but I mean, it takes a, a lot of work, and this is obviously going to be the most crazy off season ever being that it's five months long. I don't really know what I'm going to do with myself, but, um, it's, it's definitely going to be interesting, especially with no SEMA, no PRI, no events that you have to do in the off season. It's, uh, it's definitely a different, a different year for sure. But as far as engine shop goes, like the, the rigs just got back last night are getting unloaded and obviously freshen and go through everything. But we clearly have some some work to do in the horsepower department um, this this off season, especially after getting our butts kicked by five hundreds with the KB guys. <laughs> so um, we know that that we have our work cut out for us, but that's something that my guys are great at. So I just I feel like everything's kind of on on course. Um, we also built a new grow facility next to our race shop. Yes, uh, yeah, that's what a big, that's what a big project. Yeah, it's a big project. 36,000 square feet of indoor grow for medical marijuana in there. That's hopefully going to help contribute to our race program as well. So um, I think that all hands on deck will be busy with that that project as well. And I really plan on spending a lot of time in Texas, so I'm, I'm ready to go home, honestly. <laughs> That's good. I mean, uh, tension-filled year. Obviously, this, uh, this this season was less races than normal, but I, f- I feel like the conversations I've had with people, the intensity was was – all squashed into those races you know it was normally it's this kind of slow burn that takes us to get through the 23 events and you know once we got going at indy uh and especially once we actually struck out on the road and and ran basically every week in a row you could tell that it was it was grinding on people and um and it makes for compelling racing it makes for a good show for the fans but it certainly takes a mental toll on uh on everybody out there so i appreciate your i appreciate your thoughts on that for sure yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a crazy year. I was glad, like you mentioned, once we got rolling in Indy, it felt a little bit more normal. But the the start of the year was definitely crazy, and I for sure want to thank the fans for sticking with us and the the ones that showed up at fifty percent capacity and in Indy and in the Texas races, and then all of the people that came out to Las Vegas was the I think the first event in yep. Nevada that had some spectators. So um, you know the pits were really busy and. Uh, the grandstands didn't look full on TV, but there was a lot of people there, and, and I'm just really thankful for their support of not just you know pro stock, but our our entire our entire sport. It was uh, it was a crazy year, and I know 2021 will be a lot better, or so we hope. We'll see Amen. what happens with this election. Amen to that. And uh, no, congratulations again. And obviously, now with four championships, uh, you put yourself in a unique place. You've passed uh, Angel and you've passed Shirley Will Downey, who both have three world championships. And uh, you're going strong, going to be chasing a fourth in 21. So, congratulations on behalf of all of us, the NHRA, and certainly on behalf of all your pro stock loving fans out there. Thank you, Brian. All right. Talk to you soon. Okay. So there you have it, our conversations regarding the Dodge NHRA Finals presented by Pennzoil, as well as the Pro Stock World Champion, Erica Andrews. Both Antron and Erica always give great answers to questions, insightful, and they take us inside the thought process and really the inner workings of their teams and operations over the course of a season. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. We'll be back again next week, and we'll continue the week after that and the week after that as we begin a long offseason here in the world of NHRA Camping World Drag Racing that's going to be very entertaining to follow. Why? There's going to be multiple sponsorship deals going on. There's going to be all kinds of news and information breaking over the next few months, and we'll be right here to get you the inside story. Once again, thanks for listening to the NHRA Insider Podcast. I hope you love the NHRA season of competition. It's time for us to go to work in the offseason now and keep you entertained in the world of NHRA Camping World Drag Racing. 